You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Grace Romine speaks with several local musicians about their process, influences, and the local music scene. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, we broadcast an edition of Dark Past, Bright Future, a Black history segment produced by Bring It On's Liz Mitchell. But first, your Statehouse Roundup. Good afternoon. You're listening to the State House Roundup. I'm Benedict Jones. According to the ACLU, the Indiana House of Representatives could vote as early as today on House Bill 1608, what people are calling the Don't Say Gay Bill. Protesters packed the State House this week to demonstrate against the bill, which activists are saying would erase LGBTQ people in Indiana schools and out transgender students. The bill has already passed through the House Committee on Education and just yesterday had its second reading in the House. On Wednesday, the Indiana House voted to prohibit state funding of the Kinsey Institute, Indiana University's Sexual Research Institute, after bringing up disputed allegations of child exploitation by the Institute's founder, Alfred Kinsey. Indiana's House Bill 1001 is the budget bill and Representative Larissa Sweet introduced this proposal in an amendment to the bill. Robert Kinsey published several works on sexual research in the 1940s and 50s. Kinsey collected survey data with over 18,000 participants. According to the Indy Star, critics accused Kinsey of encouraging sexual experimentation on children, although no evidence has ever been produced and no charges were ever brought against him. Representative Matt Pierce, who represents the Bloomington area, said in a statement, quote, Yesterday's vote to defund the Kinsey Institute based on decades-old, unfounded conspiracy theories shows the House Republicans have been captured by the extreme right wing. Rational decision-making in the House is no longer possible with legislators more interested in fighting culture wars or just afraid some crazy person will defeat them in a primary election if they don't support extreme bills." End quote. Amendment 2 of the Budget Bill, which details the defunding of the Kinsey Institute, passed out of the House by a 53-34 to 34 vote. That's all for your State House Roundup. For WFHB, I'm Benedict Jones. During the February 14th meeting of the Monroe County Council, local resident Carol Wilson said during public comment that she wants to see improved conditions at the county jail. 
like all of you and many others in the county, I've been following the proceedings of the Community Justice Response Committee. Um, while I realize that county commissioners are ultimately responsible for any decision reached for the future, what I want to talk to you about tonight is the here and now, okay? Um, part of my comment at the CJRC February 6th meeting was quoted in the Herald Times, and it's exactly what I feel. Ensuring humane conditions should be the baseline for any further action. I wish, as you do, that we had a magic wand <laughs> to transform our current facility. But since we don't have that, I hope you'll support the efforts of Sheriff Marte and his department to significantly improve the conditions in our jail. You've seen the presentation that they've made at a couple past meetings. Uh, I've even looked at it again. Um, some of you have even seen it in firsthand, okay? Progress is being made there, and I trust will continue under your stewardship. When I was thinking about exactly what I wanted to say tonight, an aphorism appeared on my Facebook feed. What you allow is what will continue. Facebook is usually not the source of great wisdom, but in this case, I do agree, and I urge you not to allow these deplorable conditions to continue to exist any way you can, okay? Another Monroe County resident, Otter Williams, offered public comment about the county's proposal for a new jail. Um, I'm here to speak tonight also about the new jail that the county seems to be doggedly uh, pursuing. Uh, at this moment, I really don't want to address the needs of a new jail versus renovating the current jail because I feel like that is a huge conversation that needs to happen and we don't have time for that tonight in my three minutes. Um, however, there is a current population in the jail that needs to be served, as well as a whole bunch of county residents who are being marginalized and shunted into the jail basically every day. Um, I admit I am new to this conversation, uh, but it seems that the county is not really focused on instituting policies or programs to improve recidivism mm -hmm. rates or reduce the number of individuals who are processed through the jailhouse. Uh, I'd like to address the apparent lack of resources that the county is willing to spend for some of the most vulnerable citizens of our county, the homeless and those with uh, mental health conditions. Not only has the county declined to provide resources for these individuals, uh, but the county has almost criminalized the existence of these individuals. Uh, the county has spent well over $100,000 uh, kicking out uh, homeless and removing the camps that they have set up trying to find somewhere to live. Uh, and then not provided housing or shelter uh, to put these people anywhere. And not only that, uh, you seem to be willing to leave that mostly up to nonprofits and religious organizations to try and provide for these displaced individuals. Uh, I feel it's shameful that our government is relying on donations for concerned citizens while then actively spending money to create more problems for those same citizens to try and deal with. 
It's unclear if the county has ever tried to leverage existing programs in the state to provide additional funding, uh, such as the Indiana Housing First program from the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority. Uh, but I find it very disturbing that the county would rather arrest an individual than provide them shelter, meal, or rent until they can get on their feet. Uh, rent in this area is getting ridiculous. I moved here four and a half years ago and the rent, the cost of my unit has increased $400 since then. Um, I am lucky enough to own a home, uh, but many are being forced to make the choice of becoming homeless or just being forced to not being able to exist anywhere. Uh, a lack of affordable housing is only gonna make this problem worse. And even at some point, a fancy new jail isn't even gonna be able to house all these people who are being uh, created and marginalized by this system. I would ask the county council to start taking actionable steps to help these vulnerable citizens they represent instead of criminalizing them and locking them away where they no longer have to be seen. Hiding these people within the jail does not make them go away. And as Sheriff Marte has shown us, it likely is making the problems for these individuals much worse. Thank you. A third public commenter, Renee Miller, criticized the county government's response to the local jail. Um, I, I just want to say I don't have any confidence in anybody in the county as elected officials at this point, including you. Um, nobody listened to the inmates, remembering that many have not even been found guilty of anything. But nobody listened. And they have been talking and talking and telling these stories for a very long time, but nobody listened to those voices. So going forward, I ask that you see each and every communication of the inmates and do not assume just because they are in jail that they are lying. You as a governmental body gave the money that caused the very harm that we are seeing today. What do you want us to do as community members to start implementation of programs so we as a community can bring proposals to you? I'd like an answer to that, please. Um, and let's not let this full calendar year pass without starting real programs that the sheriff's department does not hold the power over. Thank you. The Monroe County Council will meet again for its regular session on March 14th. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Grace Romine speaks with several local musicians about their process, influences, and the local music scene. She interviews Bloomington artists Mindfully Blind, Westhead, and Connor McLaren. We turn to Romine for more. Crowded basements and busy Friday night bars filled with the sounds of bass, keys, and drums. Aspiring local musicians and the cheers of devoted fans watching and dancing along to the beat. Live music is at the heart of Bloomington, a college town enriched in arts and culture, budding with talent and an eager audience desiring to take it Antonio and Christopher, two brothers and their primary school best friends, Dan and Jackson, are the four founding members of the popular Bloomington alternative band, Mindfully Blind. 
an evening playing around with the application GarageBand, and a guitar Christmas present later. The four guys are booking shows around the area almost every weekend. That the longer we play together and the more we get to know each other, I think, the better music we make. And so going off that, I think the most recent project we've been working on um, is kind of more of an apex of what we've, you know, what we've grown into as musicians so far. And I think, I think we're, you know, becoming more and more proud of that as it comes together. The one-year anniversary of the release of the group's first album, The Wanderer, will be this upcoming March 10th, which the band accredits as one of their proudest accomplishments. Just recording our first album together. We recorded it a year ago, no, two years ago. It just took two weeks and we basically lived with our producer, Sanjay, who's a friend of mine from high school. And it was those two weeks, we had the songs that we wanted to record and we record them those two weeks and they went through a lot of changes and reworks and it was it was it was hard for sure but it was the good type of hard work i feel like it really paid off and even though all of us did have a bunch of different struggles with learning like certain vocal delivery or learning an entirely new part or anything like that i just i I think we came together really well with that yeah i think Recording that first album was a really big learning process for us. Um, and Tony and I are both audio engineering majors at IU. So I think this year we're both seniors. We're finally, I think, starting to figure it out. So this second album that we've been working on, we've done pretty much completely in-house. Um, and I'm really proud of the work that we've put in and been able to pull off with this with this project. I think that that's kind of the culmination of not only our like creative output like putting all our heads together and getting something done but also like on the audio side like being able to record something that you know we would eventually like be able to put out and be proud of that's that's been huge mindfully blind is working on producing their second album their songs take inspiration from a wide range of artists in the middle of writing like you know you go through eras of writing and gigging and recording and stuff i think now we're trying to write i think as of lately, we've been listening to a lot of Paramore. Um, I think the the local Bloomington music scene kind of influences some of our writing decisions too, like Secret Mezzanine, Westhead, uh, Stratospheres. Those have all been kind of influential on our writing process recently too. Being primarily located in Bloomington provides immense opportunities for budding talent like the group Mindfully Blind. Home of a nationally accredited university, Bloomington is full of passionate individuals in entrepreneurship, audio engineering, and instrumental talent that inspired the live music scene. Yeah, the, the local live music, you know, the house band scene, it's, it's, I think it's really starting to thrive now. Like venues like the Reef are just absolutely insane to play at, like huge crowds. It's like these venues are popping up that will draw crowds, which is great for bands that, you know, like us, I think that we have a, a decent fan base, but it's not like if we were to, you know, go out of town, we'd be pulling like a thousand people. It's like these venues, I think, are helping build these smaller bands up um, and everybody's just kind of working together to, you know, just do the thing, which is really cool. Yeah, I think it's really inspiring um, being in a community where it just so happens that a lot of my favorite songwriters in general are in that community. I think of people like The Matriarch, all the people in that uh, Westhead, uh, Secret Mezzanine, uh, we mentioned them before, but um, just 
excellent songwriters across the board that we can just be friends with, and it's a real blessing. Mindfully Blind describes the local band and live music scene as a supportive community that yearns for everyone's success. I think the the maybe the worst part about the Bloomington music scene is that not enough people uh, know West Head. Four weeks, four weeks in. My hair is falling out, my legs are getting thin. Max DeFisco has been a lifelong musician and guitarist before the formation of his band, Westhead, which came together once he arrived in Bloomington as a student at Indiana University. His folk music takes inspiration from 60s and 70s music and his poetic lyrics from the trials of his own life as a young adult. I would say that I only really write uh, when I have questions that I need to answer uh, for myself, just in terms of like like writing uh, music is very much a healing process for me. And uh, I'm not one of those songwriters that is writing year round all the time, uh, just because I feel like I have like big humps to get over in my life. Uh, and uh, those like kind of big things that might be causing issues just with mental health or anything like that. Uh, well, every every couple of months, I'll I feel I'll feel like I got a new thing that I need to crack about myself. Uh, so then I usually uh, will take whatever things I need to figure out just about my how my brain works and stuff like that, and try to frame it in a way where I could uh, really tell a story with it and and use some. Uh, use some like metaphor to make things make a little bit more sense for myself. Um, and that's kind of the routine I've settled into with, with writing. And uh, I'm about to start a rollout for a new album uh, next month uh, that I uh, did over the summer. And uh, that one was very much like my deepest dive into that kind of uh, finding, uh, finding ways to answer questions uh, that I need to answer about myself, but in a, in, in a different way. Uh, than well, than one might normally. I'm not necessarily being super uh, like uh, clear and vivid with the way I'm singing. It's a lot of uh, metaphor and uh, storytelling, just kind of hopping around the general themes and ideas I want to I, I, I want to revolve around. Westhead's first album, and just like that, released on February 24th, just last year. Defisco is working on the second album, which, like his first wouldn't be what it is today without Bloomington's supportive community of creative individuals. I, more than anything, and I think this goes for a lot of college scenes, but something that I really noticed here is that I, was, I was really nervous at first coming here uh, because I just I didn't love the idea of going to a, a really big school. It seemed very intimidating to me. It seemed like I would, it would be hard for me to find my, my spot. But in reality, it's like there's just pockets of, of people with with similar interests and wanting to do the same things and wanting to just help. Um, so that's like my biggest, my, my, my favorite thing about Bloomington is there's just always people who are willing to be a part of, of the things that, uh, that you do. If you're passionate about it um, and the things that you're making, there are going to be other artists, whether it be visual artists or more musicians or um, uh, like, it, there's always going to be people who are willing to help this album that I'm about to, start the rollout for has 30 people who worked on it um, with most of them being local to Bloomington and all of them were just like, when I asked them 
or they came to me to wanting to help and they, everybody was just so willing and so excited uh, to just be a part of, of making anything. So I think that's, that is a, I think it's like a very college town and college type thing, but specifically Bloomington just seems like there's such a wealth of knowledge and artistry all around this town. Um, and you know, once you find the right person, it, snowballs into finding the right group of people stacks of needles for hay giving up your heart to a world of pain but your face still shines as bright as a sun and day can't figure out who is in your lane the rejection kicks in now you're insane nothing you can do connor mclaren a third musician and songwriter in the bloomington scene similarly grew up in a musical household. He picked up a guitar as a child with the support of his brother and father. It was in college that McLaren began to take his aspirations seriously, having the freedom of time and resources to make his dream a reality. It was with his mentor he recorded his first song and eventually his first album. Yeah, um, I was a really big fan of this guy named uh, Ben Coiler. He had this song called Lizzie that um, really made me want to start writing songs myself and uh he showed me who bob dylan was and todd snyder was just by saying whose inspirations were and uh john Prine, and a bunch of other lyricists and songwriters and eventually i was writing songs all the time and i got to show uh ben queller one of my songs um and uh he liked it so much that he wanted to record it and uh, i went and recorded it with him in austin and then uh he uh, wanted to record a whole album. So I recorded my whole debut record with him, and now uh, I'm uh, playing shows all the time. And McLaren values the storytelling aspect of music. I really like the words. I really like the story. Um, it also takes the longest, because uh, typically it takes me about a year or two before I really feel like I've got the story down. And that's something that's ever-changing, too. But uh, I would say I really like writing the words, and that's typically the first step for me. Sometimes I come up with a guitar part first or a bass part or something on the piano, or um, I change the tuning of my guitar or find a weird chord. But I would say most of the time I just write some lyrics and get a melody going off of those words and then decide to pick up the guitar. Um, Noel Gallagher has this quote that he says that he's the lead singer, or not the lead writer of Oasis, where he says, the guitar might as well be a shell because it's just a way for me to, to get my voice out. <laughs> he aspires to bring life to his performances like his idol, Todd Snyder. McLaren hopes to bring joy to his listeners every day. For them, he is incredibly grateful. Put a smile on their face or you know, helps them in their day or makes them feel an emotion even would be pretty cool. You know, if something resonates with them or they like the sound of something, that's that's pretty cool to me. But I don't know, the fact that people are just listening is so surreal. And people like what I'm playing and like what I make. That's just kind of odd to me anyway. So um, I'm grateful. <laughs> I really like how appreciative and how many people there are that just like want to hear music that maybe they're not going to hear the clearest but they know they can believe it you know that's that's just something that's really special like um there's people that are willing to get in a hot basement where there's loudspeakers where you can't really hear much and they're willing to get sweaty and bump into people because it's an experience and they really like live music and that's just 
that's really cool to me. Um, I really appreciate that as somebody that's a creative and knows how much work it takes to make the music. It's really appreciative that people want to put that much effort into just getting to experience some live music. In a town with a rich history of talent, the local music scene blossoms and will continue to grow for many years to come. For WFHB, I'm Grace Romine. Up next, we have an edition of Dark Past, Bright Future, a segment produced by Bring It On's very own Liz Mitchell. Mitchell presents a brief history of the story of Madame C.J. Walker's triumph over adversity to become the first black woman millionaire in America. dark past, bright future. Lessons in African-American history that you won't read about in any textbook. Telling the stories of the struggle of those who came before us to build a better path to a brighter future for all of us. I am a woman that came from the cotton fields of the South. I was promoted from there to the wash tub. Then I was promoted to the cook kitchen. And from there, I promoted myself into the business of manufacturing hair goods and preparations. Everybody told me that I was making a big mistake by going into this business, but I know how to grow hair as well as I know how to grow cotton. Madam C.J. Walker. With little or no opportunity when Sarah Breedlove started out in life, she became the first female self-made millionaire in America. Sarah Breedlove was the one and only incomparable Madam C.J. Walker. Who would imagine that a person born in 1867 lost both parents by the age of seven, married three times, the first time being at age 14, gave birth to a daughter, became a widow at age 20, remarries, divorces, then marries Charles Joseph Walker, divorces again, and she is a black woman with only three months of formal education. Now, how do you attain success with that? Here are three quotes from Madam Walker that might give you an insight. I gave myself a start by giving myself a start. I'm not ashamed of my past. I'm not ashamed of my humble beginning. If I have accomplished anything in life, it is because I have been willing to work hard, in quotes. Sarah suffered from severe dandruff and other scalp ailments, including baldness. When she developed a formula to help her own condition, she knew she was onto something that would change the way Black women groomed and styled their hair. She marketed herself as Madam C.J. Walker, independent hairdresser and retailer of cosmetic creams. Sarah started out selling her products door to door. She opened a beauty salon. Then she established training programs in the Walker system that would allow black women economic independence. She set up a national network of licensed sales agents who earn healthy commissions. In 1910, Walker relocated her business to Indianapolis, Indiana, where she built a factory, hair salon, beauty school, and a laboratory to help with the research. 
she included in that building a movie theater. Many of her employees, including those in key management positions, were women. During the height of her career, Walker and her company employed several thousand women as sales agents. Walker began organizing her sales agents into state and local clubs. She had annual conferences and would give prizes to women who had sold the most products. Now, what company does that sound like today? If you guessed Mary Kay, you are correct, thus making Madam C.J. Walker's strategy for success still effective today. On a personal note, Madam Walker provided opportunity for Black children to have a place to see movies. One of those children was me. I was born and raised in Indianapolis during an era when the words no, don't, you can't, whites only, and Negroes served in the back were prevalent. We would have not have gotten the opportunity to experience viewing movies if it had not been for the Walker Theater. As a child, being inside that majestic theater with its rare African deco styling, featuring African shields and spears, this provided me with a place to escape from the oppressive world that I lived in. The Walker Building is one of the few structures left of what was known as the Harlem of Indianapolis. It was surrounded by black neighborhoods spanning over 400 acres on the northwest side of Indianapolis, which is now IUPUI. Madam C.J. Walker, entrepreneur, philanthropist, political and social activist, gave one of the largest donations to the NAACP anti-lynching fund. She also contributed large amounts of funds to many other organizations. And on another note, just this week at Indianapolis International Airport, they unveiled a 72 foot long mural to honor Madam C.J. Walker. Thank you and this concludes the segment of Dark Past, Bright Future.